Welcome to Legacy Church's weekly podcast. We are a church located in beautiful South Florida. Thanks for checking out this week's message. If you are looking for a word of hope, purpose, and destiny, then you're tuning in to the right place. If you enjoy the ministry of our church, you can help us by sharing the message like this, by supporting us financially. Just press the Give button on www.yourlegacy.church. It's quick, easy, and secure. Now let's prepare our hearts to hear this week's message. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Genesis, the third chapter. And I'm going to be reading from verse 1 to verse 7. And I want you to turn to it now, but we will be also reading Matthew, the first chapter. Verses 20 and 21. But we will turn to it towards the end of this message. We're going to do something a little bit different at the end of this message. Um, it will make sense at the end, but uh, I will pray and close out, uh, give us the benediction. But service will continue on out. Again, it will all make sense at the end. And so I'm asking that you would stay with us. And so at the end of the prayer, please do not turn off, click off. Um, Please stay with us. Genesis, the third chapter. A very familiar passage of scripture, verse one through seven. I would have hoped that all of us have read Genesis Uh, the entire book, to be exact, but I would hope that all of us have read this particular chapter, at least the first couple of chapters, at least. Genesis, and I'm reading from the Amplified Bible, so you're more than willing to click on the Amplified Translation in our uh, Bible platform that's on our presentation or you will be more than welcome to read your translation or just follow along as I read. Um, Genesis, the third chapter, verses one through seven. Now the serpent was more crafty than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent, that is Satan, said to the woman, can it really be that God has said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, talking about Eve, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, except the fruit from the tree, which is in the middle of the garden. God said, you shall not eat from it nor touch it. Otherwise, you will die. Verse four, but the serpent said to the woman, where is Adam in all of this? That's another message for another day with men and women in marriage, but that's another message for, but the serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die. Verse five, for God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse six, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delightful to look at, hunger, Attraction, lust, I'll leave that alone. And that it was delightful to look at. And the tree to be desired in order to make one wise and insightful. It's a a dangerous thing to look at something and already draw a conclusion of what you will be if you connect with that said thing but I'll leave that alone. 
She took some of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband with her and he ate. In verse seven, then the eyes of the two of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they fastened fig leaves together and made themselves covering. For a few moments, I want to preach from the subject. It's a trick. It's a trick. It's a trick. It's a trick. If I was the look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor type of preacher, I'm not. I would say tap your neighbor and tell them it's a trick. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. As always, God, we know that we are not here by accident. And so, God, you have set forth a word before us. We pray that we would hear what you have to say to us. God, remove all internal and external distractions. God, I don't know. I know, but they don't know what you mean by it's a trick. And so my prayer is that attentive ears would, would be in store. But God, I don't want to leave myself out of this because I'm no different than they are. So preach and teach to me too, even though you've given me this word. Holy Spirit, this is your pulpit. This is your airwaves. This is your place. Have your way. Stir up anything that you desire to stir up, however you choose. And God, when it's all said and done, we'll give you the glory and the thanks. God, I personally ask that you would increase your spirit in me so that your word can go forth, not me. As always, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, Lord, please be acceptable in that sight. Oh, Lord, you are my strength and indeed you are my redeemer. In your name, Jesus. Amen. It's a trick. It's a trick. My wife would probably make fun of me because for some reason and somehow, as I've gotten older, I can't understand what it is. I can't place my mind on it or around it, but I just cannot watch scary movies anymore. I cannot watch thrillers anymore. Big bad ex-cop, for whatever reason, I just don't like my blood pressure being raised and the suspense of it all being raised anymore like that. Now, is that strong? I probably could sit down and watch it, but I'm not going to look for one. I'm not going to go to the movies unless my wife drags me to the movies to go see one. But when I was a kid growing up watching scary movies and enjoying them, I remember there was always somewhat some kind of theme that was attached to a scary movie that those of us who viewed the movie that we always kind of found ourselves universally saying this same type of phrase. And so when you're watching a scary movie and it's showing the picture of the door and it's dark and it's creepy and the person's walking down the hall or slowly walking or the slow, scary music is playing and they're getting ready to put their hand on that doorknob. And for whatever reason, universally, we all have said this. Don't go in there because it's a trick. Don't go in there because it's a trick. Don't, 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 don't go in that shed. It's a trick. Don't, 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 don't follow that sound. It's a, it's a trick. I'm even old enough to remember trick gum. I don't know the, the age of the people that I'm speaking to that's watching this, but I'm old enough. They may still have it around. I'm not sure, but I remember being tricked in school by trick gum. I remember exactly who gave it to me. I can't remember her name, but I surely remember her. And she gave me a piece of trick gum for my greedy self who had to be eating something. And the gum was disgusting. It's a trick. 
I can be found. I remember in my investigative days, I don't know necessarily about law enforcement, but definitely in my loss prevention investigative days in inside of the retail industry, I know that many people have shared with me that the word around the store was don't talk to Eric because it's a trick. And I won't admit or deny that was the case, but sometimes there's some things that are just labeled and clear that it's a trick. Deception is at the root of most falls in society. Whether it's trick gum or whether it's Eve in the Garden of Eden, deception is always at the root of being tricked. Life is littered. Life is littered with a cast of famous falls that rooted that was rooted in deception and deceptive moments as a matter of fact each and every day each and every day my phone will probably ring at some point with some type of scam call some type of scam email will pop up we got catfishing social media and the filters there's all kinds of traps tricks that are rooted in deception. Deception has become in our current day lucrative. It's beneficial to be deceptive. You can add this, cut this, tuck this, shape this, your whole body, and you can literally make money online without leaving your home. It's deception. That wasn't how you were born. That wasn't how originally God made you. It's beneficial. It's promoting. Deception, the more de de deceitful, the more deceiving you are, excuse me, the more you are liked sometimes in certain sects of our community, in certain sects of our country. Nowadays, a little deception can take you places. But deception still at its core, it's deceiving. Don't ever be fooled, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Deception is still at its core, deceiving. It can take you places, but I believe the question comes to us is, but what's there when you get there? I know that I'm not by myself, that I can raise my hand, that, that, that deception has taken me to some places. And little did I know what was there when I got there. The opposite of deception is real. And unfortunately, in our current day, real is arbitrary. False. Truth. Truth, as I mentioned uh, last week is arbitrary. But do you know sin is the original? Or sin originated in deception. Sin, this ugly thing, originated in deception. In case, my brothers and sisters, that you have not discovered what we're going to preach about today, from reading Genesis 3, we're going to talk about sin. I'm just going to let the cat out the bag. I'm going to make us uncomfortable. I come to talk about sin. Sin originated in deception. And so let's talk about sin here a little bit. Let's talk about its origin. As a matter of fact, the study of sin is called hermitology. There are two Greek words in the New Testament that defines sin. One is hamatema, which means to miss the mark. And parabas, or parabasis, excuse me. It means to overstep a forbidden line. 
And so way, the way the New Testament defines in the Greek sin is to miss the mark. And perhaps in missing that mark, you might have overstepped a forbidden line. So when you sin, when you sin, you miss the mark. What mark? God's, God's mark for us. His mark for us is holy. It's dead sinner smack holiness. The for, to overstep a forbidden line is to cross the line that God has said to not cross. It is to step into violating God's law, which is his precepts and his commands. And so sin originated in deception. Well, let's talk about sin. You, you can't talk about sin without connecting it to someone. Lucifer, Satan, the devil himself. Sin was introduced into our universe before perhaps the foundation of this earth, before the foundation of this world. The Bible tells us that Satan, Lucifer was an angel in God's army. The Bible says that he, he was an angelic creature. He was beautiful. If you turn to Ezekiel, some say that they're talking about uh, the king of, of Tyre, but also some as said, this is an explanation of Satan. The Bible says in Ezekiel 28, 11, again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, take up dirge for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you had the full measure of perfection. And the finishing touch, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Talking about Satan here. He says, you were in, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, and the jasper, the lapis, the lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold. The workmanship of your settings and your sockets was in you. They were prepared on the day that you were created. You were the anointed cherubim who covers and protects, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until righteous, unrighteousness excuse me, and evil were found in you. Through the abundance of your commerce, you were internally filled with lawlessness and violence. And you sinned. And you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you out as a profane and unholy thing from the mountain of God. I have destroyed you, O covering cherubim, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud and arrogant. Because of your beauty. You destroyed your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Verse 17. I cast you to the ground. I lay you before the kings that they might look at you. You profane your sanctuaries by the great quantity of your sins and the enormity of your guilt by the unrighteousness of your trade. Therefore, I have brought forth a fire from your midst. It has consumed you and I have reduced you to ashes on the earth. In the sight of all who looked at you, verse 19, all the peoples, nations, who knew you are appalled at you. You have come to a horrible and terrifying end and will forever cease to be. Satan at some point, thought that he could dethrone the king and be the king. And that is King Jesus. In the same way, he got the idea that he could be God. That he had whatever needed to be God. He deceived himself. He was led by deception. And then we, God creates 
the world. And he puts his people in the garden. And here we find our text. Where sin was introduced into the world via the serpent, via Satan, the fallen angel from heaven. I want to bring our understanding about the functions of the enemy and how he tries and how he gets us to sin. And here are the three functions. He sows doubt, he grows deception, and harvests devastation. Doubt, deception, devastation. There is no other equation that this transpires. I've said many a times and I'll keep saying, and I got this from my good friend, Pastor William Gibbons out of Atlanta, Georgia. He has no new tricks. He has no new schemes. He has no new strategy. He has no new formula. He has the same thing that got him cast out of heaven. Deceive myself. Deceiving, deceiving, deceiving equals to devastation. And so here in our text, we find our first parents. And they're kind of living in perfectness. Living in paradise, totally dependent upon God. Don't even understand the concept of depending on self following God's commands, and it is a beautiful marriage. It is a beautiful union. And here comes old crafty Satan in the form of a serpent. The first thing that I want to break down is as, as what happens when the enemy is transpiring to an attempt to get us to sin is he sows doubt. Look what the Bible says in verse one. He says, now the serpent was more crafty and was more crafty uh, than any living creature of the, of the field, which the Lord God had made. And the serpent said to the woman, can it really be? Can it really be that God has said, you shall not eat from any tree? Of the garden. And verse four, he says, but the serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die. The enemy always gets you to focus on the restrictions rather than your freedom. My brothers and sisters in Christ, do you understand that he was playing to the fact of what they could not do or what they could not have? rather than what all that they had. The Bible says that God said you can eat of all of the trees except for the one that's in the middle that is of knowledge of good and evil. See, Satan will always try to get you to focus on your restrictions. If you show me your sin, I will show you somehow, somewhere that you doubted what it is that you could actually have freedom in and doing as a believer following God's way. Do you understand that that's how doubt gets planted in us is we begin to look at what we can't do versus what God has said you have. The Bible, the word of God has given us God's clear commands. The Bible says that God commands and the Bible is God's commands and his instructions. It is not a book of restrictive guidelines. It is a book of a lighted path to freedom and God-given peace. Do we understand why sometimes we struggle to have peace in our lives and not just in our lives, but internally within us just on a normal, regular day is because we've separated ourselves from God's word. And when we separate ourselves from God's word in that gulf or in that gap between here and separation from God's word, 
insert the enemy, the Satan, him trying to plant and sow doubt. And that doubt rubs up against what you know the tr is truth and it rubs up against and it makes you uneasy and it creates an internal spiritual and physical anxiety. The Bible is not about what you can't do. There's people still to this day that are are not in church, won't give their life to Christ or left the church, denounced the church because they have felt that it is a restrictive guideline when it when it truly is an exposing light to what freedom and peace is. Psalms 119, 116, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Instead of looking at God's word of what it blocks and what it darkens in your self-fulfilling cardinal flesh life, look at it as it lights up the things that I cannot physically and mentally and spiritually see. It is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Psalms 119, 116 says, uphold me according to your word so that I may live. And I have to say it that way because when I read it, it seems like that that's what the psalmist was saying there. Uphold me according to your word so that I might live, so that I might live this life in a way that is pleasing and at peace and joyful. I want to live. I don't want to live in bondage. I don't want to live in restrictive anxiety that is falsely made by the enemy. But in order for doubt to be sown, it has to have a place to be sown. There has to be truth present. Doubt is, is sown in truth, meaning that you have to have some functioning of the truth in order for doubt to have an ops. That's why the truth of God must be preached. It must be taught. It must be read by you. Truth is the only opposition to doubt. Satan doesn't bother anyone who doesn't have truth. Yet he's all over you, pounding you, pressuring you, trying to get your attention because you know truth. He's just trying to sow doubt in your garden of truth. He's trying to plant seeds of doubt in your garden of truth. That's what he did to Eve. He said, but the serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die. I don't know what made Eve pause. My brothers and sisters, can I just preach about that pause? Can I just preach about that moment when you know truth, but false truth comes and you pause to entertain it? How many of you are in situations that you're in now because you paused and entertained a false? I don't know why Eve paused. I don't know what it was. I don't know why she didn't run away. But for whatever the reason, she paused. And when she paused, she gave him an opportunity. What was the opportunity? In his appeal, Satan appealed towards our natural desires. He sows the doubt. And what he's sowing the doubt to is your natural desires. Immediately he begins to talk about what they can't do versus who they have. What they can't do versus who they have. They have all the trees, but they have the one who makes the trees. He always appeals and sows doubt to your natural desires. I'll leave that alone, but I'll let you depict what those things are for you, your natural desires. One of the reasons that we struggle, and I'll just use myself, I'm struggle to eat the right things because when I'm hungry, I'm tempted to my natural desires. I'm not tempted to my knowledge. My knowledge says, Eric, eat healthier things with less sugar, and so it won't make your belly fat. It won't make you have clogged arteries. It won't give you high blood pressure and kill you someday. 
I don't, it don't appeal to my thoughts. My hunger appeals to my fleshly taste desires. And his appeal is towards your natural desires. The same way with Satan. He wants you to always feel like your natural inclinations are normal and need to be expressed. He says in verse four, but the serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die. And so I believe Eve in her pause, she paused and thought for a moment. Well, I, I don't think I should die. What they didn't, what she didn't understand is that she was with the one God had made them to live forever. We didn't get cursed to die physically until they disobeyed God. You got to read your Bible. And so he always sows doubt to our natural desires. In his appeal. In Matthew 4, 2, Jesus was tempted the same way by Satan. It says in verse 2, after he had gone without food, for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was in the wilderness fasting. And the Bible says he became hungry. And verse three, when you come up on Jesus, what do you do? You tempt him at his natural deficiencies. He says in verse three, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread so you can fill your belly he always sows doubt to your natural deficiencies, your natural desires. That's, you find me, you show me your sin and I'll show you where doubt latched on like a virus to your natural inclinations, desires and deficiencies. But the second thing, I'll move on is he grows deception. Look at verse five. It says, for God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Something one of my deacons used to say a long time ago at Oakland Avenue Missionary Baptist Church in Detroit, Michigan, as Deacon Daniels used to always say, Satan will sell a thousand truths to get us to buy one lie. That's what he's doing here. He's selling a thousand truths to get Eve to buy one lie. You show me your sin, I will show you where Satan has sold you a thousand lies. A thousand truths, excuse me, to get you to buy that one lie. And you bought it and you sinned. But here's the question. Was it the truth? Did God know that their eyes were open? Yes, it was. The Bible says that God knew that they would be more aware. They would be more aware. Even in verse seven of chapter, uh, not verse seven of chapter four, excuse me. It says, um, verse 22 of chapter three, he says, and the Lord God said, behold, man has become like one of us, knowing how to distinguish between knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take from the tree of life as well and eat and live in this fallen condition for eternity. That's Genesis 3, 22, as you go down further. And so this, this further explains to me that Satan was selling a true, but he wanted you to buy a lie. And he stuck that lie in there. And the lie is that you would be like God. Remember when I said that Satan has no new strategies? He has no new schemes. He has no MO, no new MO. He comes with the same thing that he himself got kicked out of heaven for. He was deceived. He deceived himself. And not only did he deceive himself, the Bible says he led a wicked, a revolt. A whole lot of them followed him. 
He deceived others. He is the deceiver, the great deceiver, the father of lies, of all lies, Jesus says. And he just wants to get you to buy one lie. There was no way that Eve and Adam could ever be like God. Nobody, nothing, none of his creations can be him because we all depend upon him. He doesn't need anything to depend upon. He depends on himself. And again, there was a pause. Where did Eve, what was she thinking in the pause? How many people are in prison because of the pause? Here's truth. You quoted back truth to him. You know truth. But this came in and you paused. And you took a look. How many people are dead because they paused and took a look? And he says, you'd be like God knowing good and evil. You would know good and evil. The Bible says that God says they would be able to distinguish between good and evil. But you would not be like God. The problem is with Satan is he never tells you the whole truth. All of us can account of sin in our lives or formerly in our lives where we didn't know the whole truth. Satan will always tell you partial truths, but not the whole truth. The whole truth is they will now be aware of disobedience. They will know what it tastes like to cross that Perebus, that forbidden line that you never supposed to cross. He didn't put that when he was explaining to Eve and she was making that pause before she looked at false. Satan, he works through our flesh and growing deception. Our flesh is his Uber driver, if you will. Our flesh is a representative of us. That's why Paul says in Romans 7 and 18, for I know that nothing good lives in me. Our flesh is a representative of us. He says, for I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my flesh for the willingness is present in me, but the doing of good is not. We cannot do good because of our flesh. And Satan rides in on our flesh to sow doubt and grow deception. This is the formula to sin. You show me your sin, I'll show you how this begin to work. You give me the details of your sin, I will point out where the doubt was sown, where the deception was grown. Our flesh is cardinal. You can't trust your flesh. Nothing good lives in our self-gratifying, self-serving, self-edifying, self-fulfilling flesh. The twist, the twist in all of this is that they had it better than anything they could have garnered in deception. Sometimes deception is telling you that you need something that you already have. Satan told tell them that you will not die. You will be like God. God gave them everything that he had. No, they were not like God. But why would you? It's not about being like God. God is giving you everything you have. He said that you will not surely, you will not surely die. They were going to live forever with God. That's all that you need. That's all they had already. And so Satan will always deceive you into thinking that you need something perhaps you may already have. To my brothers and sisters in Christ, that is the case. Sometimes, sometimes that's what he does. He tricks us in thinking that we need something that we already have. That's why you have to look at this Bible and not think of it as a restrictive 
book of laws and rules. You have to look at it as what God's voice and his word saying to us, here's your freedom in me. This is what you have. In the story of David with Bathsheba, and while Nathan uh, is, 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 is calling David to the carpet in 2 Samuel 12, 8, the Bible says what God said to Nathan to say to um, David. It says, I also gave you your master's house. Telling David, like, if, what are you doing? Why are you blowing this? You're with me. Do you know what I have? He says, I also gave you your master's house and put your master's wives in your care and under your protection. And I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And he says, and if that had been too little, I would have given you much more. Satan in his deception is always deceiving us. He grows deceptions on the back of our flesh. Perhaps that we need something that we already have. And then when doubt is sown and deception is grown, a harvest arises of devastation. The reason why I say harvest of devastation is because you can grow things. You can see something growing. You can, you can know that it's, the seed is planted and it's growing because you can see the leaves. But when the harvest has come, that's when it's ready to be taken. And I'm telling you, sin is when and where you get took. When doubt is sown and deception has grown, devastation is ready for the taking. Several things happen that constitute as devastation or in parentheses death. One, they disobeyed God. They fell from the fulfillment from God. God gave them, it was a free-flowing connection in whatever they needed. They became aware of what was kept from them from destroying them. God did not want them to know good and evil in this fallen state. That's where we live now. We know good and evil. We have knowledge. We can distinguish between the difference. And that was problematic. They were now the sole owners of shame naturally. When you sin and that shame comes upon you, that is a natural feeling. We own that shame. That is now attached to us. They were living in a shame-free life. In a shame-free life. Look at verse 7. It says, Then the eyes of the two of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. The first thing that they were aware of were their natural desires. The natural the natural, they became aware of wrong. They became aware of mistake. They became aware of shame. And in the end, they began the greatest striving that has destroyed and still destroying so many people to this day. And that is trying to fix their own spiritual problem. See, when sin, when we sin, we break the fellowship with God. He no longer sees us. That's why David says, "Turn, don't turn your face away from me. When he was talking about his sin with Bathsheba, because God turned, he's a holy God. He can't see sin. And now they were separated from him, which therefore made all of us separated from him. The Bible says that they hid from his presence. That's what sin would do. 
it will give you the thought that it makes all the sense in the world to hide from the presence of God. They're trying to fix their own spiritual problem. The Bible says, and they fastened fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. My brothers and sisters in Christ, this is why you gotta have truth. The word of God, what God said to us, this, there's no new revelation. There's no new books to be, they can find all the other books in the sea, on the mountain, wherever. God has spoken truth. Because when you know his truth, then the enemy has to flee. When Jesus had his encounter with Satan on that mountain, the Bible says in, in, in Matthew 4 that he fleed from him. And Jesus responded with the word of God. And from that point on, in our text, God put in motion to reconcile man back to himself. And remember I said in the beginning, we'll get to Matthew 1 and 21, 20 and 21. Turn your Bibles there. And it says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, descendant of David, do not be afraid to make Mary as your wife for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. In verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you shall name him Jesus. And for he will save his people from their sins. John 1.29 says, the next day he saw Jesus come to him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Romans 5.15, Paul says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many die by one man's trespass, much more did God's grace and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ overflowed to many. What are you saying, Pastor Eric? All of that because doubt was sown, deception was grown, and devastation was harvest. And so God, through the Old Testament, choosing the Israelites had to put into place for Christ Jesus, the only one who could come down and save his people from their sins. It's a trick. When you sin, it's a trick. It's a trick. I don't know if you're sitting in your sin, about to sin, formulating your sin. I'm telling you, doubt, deception, and devastation, sin. And that's why Christ had to come. And that's, he came and he did what he did. He died on the cross and they put him in the tomb and he rose on the third day as he said he would, fulfilling the scriptures. And it is done. What does that mean? That means your sins can still be sown in, from doubt, made, grown from deception and harvest and devastation but Christ paid the penalty because back then it was death and that was it. And you died physically, you died spiritually, and that was it. And God in his loving, amazing grace, we just sung about it. Did that for you and me. And so what is God saying? us in this message don't be tricked 
rest in me, rest in my word, abide in me, abide in my word, and I will abide in you. Don't fall for the doubt, the deception, and devastation. I am the truth. I give it to you freely. You don't have to pay for it. I pay for it on the cross. And so whatever it is you're getting ready to do, whatever it is that, that he's tempting and trying to get you to do, just know it's a trick. Don't willingly run to death, run to life. It is a trick, my brothers and sisters in Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you or enticed you that is not common to human experience to man, but God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but along with the temptation, he will provide the way out as well so that you will be able to endure it. Some translation says to be able to stand up in it. Fight it, my brothers and sisters. Fight it. Fight it. Fight it. Fight it with truth. Thanks be to Jesus that he would do this for us because we could not fix our own spiritual problem. And that's what you see out in the world and all these other religions and all this other stuff that people are doing to try and find peace and all this quote unquote manifestation that we see is happening. This is stuff is cultish. It's just flaw. It's just sinful people who've been deceived, who've been, who doubt has been sown. They've been deceived. So deception has grown and they're getting ready to fall and harvest devastation. Instead of standing on his truth. And who else? Who else but God? Father, we thank you that you fixed our spiritual sin problem in Jesus Christ. 